Are you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome, friends. Welcome to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm your host, Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, and here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting edge work in the areas of healing spirituality, and social transformation. And I haven't done a show in a long time. As you know, I don't do these because I have to. I do these because I'm passionate about doing them. And one of the things that really I'm passionate about is discovering individuals and work that is that really works and is affordable and safe and effective, and accessible, and uh, getting that information out to you and helping you make those connections with powerful people that can really make a big difference in your life. So with that, I'm really excited about today's show. My guest is Dr. Eric Goodman. Uh, Dr. Eric Goodman, can I call you Eric? Yes, by all means, please do. Okay. Sorry for the little bit of background noise. That's going to end quickly. There we go. Great. Over now. <laughs> so um, Eric is a licensed chiropractor, but he's not currently in private practice because he is dedicated to getting a particular body of work out into the world and anchored in a way that uh, is powerful and responsible and continue, can continue to propagate it's, uh, his work is called Foundation Training. And in today's interview, uh, the first oh, probably half hour or so will be dedicated to giving Eric and I a chance to uh, kind of draw Eric out about his personal journey and his story about his own evolution, his own healing, and uh, his own thought processes because... Uh, like many people, his innovations come from uh, the fire of his own life and his own personal challenges. And then we'll spend the rest of the interview doing the best that we can to help you really grok uh, what are some of the key distinctions about Eric's work and what it can do for you and your loved ones and how you can access the benefits. So Eric, welcome to Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. It's really a joy and an honor to have you here today. I appreciate you helping me share foundation training with your audience and with people that trust you. So thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So let's go back to the beginning. Uh, what I know, and, and this is just a, a skeletal outline just to give you a place to start and to orient the listeners, is what I know is that you had, you were an athlete, you are an athlete, very active person that's very important to you. And at a young age, you started having debilitating chronic low back issues that, um, and all the proposed solutions were unacceptable to you and that catalyzed your search. But that's just the Cliff Notes version. So. Let me turn it over to you to start to tell your story and go ahead and go back as far as you want. And then um, 
I may interrupt you if a, uh, a question comes up for me, but basically you've got the floor for a while. So take okay. it away, Eric. All right, let me, let me know if I start going on and on and getting boring or something like that, please. So it's really, it's not a very exciting story, but it's a, it's a useful story. And you used a term in there that, uh, that all of the practices that I knew at the time were, were sort of unacceptable to me regarding my own back pain. And, and that's, that, that became that way uh, in time. You know, I, I literally just turned 36 yesterday and up until I was about 32 or 33, I was still very, very keenly looking out there to see if anybody else was doing something like what I was doing. And that allowed me to investigate a lot of really wonderful rehabilitation practices that are, that are just as good as foundation training. So I don't, I don't want to get anybody to think that I, I believe my work is in any way, shape or form better than anything else, but man, is it a useful and available alternative or accessory to what else you're doing. So with that being said, when I was about 18, 19 years old, I, I just had back problems. It was that simple. I was a weightlifting guy because I played a bunch of sports. I played ice hockey for a, a very long time and I played water polo in high school and then in college and was in the gym, you know, five or six days a week for many, many, many years from about 15 years old to about 26, 27 years old. And in that time, some real wear and tear started to happen on my spine and, and visually and, and, and all of that, I looked strong and I looked like an athletic person and I just looked, I looked big and tall. Uh, but what was happening inside is my, my extremities, like my upper arms and my biceps and my shoulders and my quadriceps and my calves were getting strong. But the support structures around those extremities, uh, the support structures around my spine, around my hips, that was all not being called into action in the same way that my other muscles were. And, and it's easy to see that now, 10, 20 years later. But back then, I didn't understand that. So I was pushing harder and harder, trying to get stronger, trying to make myself stronger to fix my problems, and, and they were just getting worse. So 19, 20, 21, it's all a mystery to me. And, and, and I decided to go to chiropractic school because I really enjoy the process of trying to figure out the human body. I love the capacity that people have to get stronger and to alter the course of their lives based on their physicality. I think that's probably one of the most amazing attributes to human beings that exists is our adaptability. Very, very fast, very amazing adaptability. Um, so I went to chiropractic school because I wanted to understand the engine. I wanted to understand the, the, the system, the body that we use to get through life. And I also really wanted to understand my back pain, which I didn't. And, and it took a long time and it wasn't chiropractic school that made me understand it. It was, it was actually getting a lot worse throughout chiropractic school. And it forced me to start looking at it a little bit differently by the, by the time I'm now 25, 26, I had moved out to the West Coast, uh, transferring chiropractic schools from Logan in St. Louis to Los Angeles Chiropractic in California. And it sort of broadened my whole perspective on a lot of things doing that. I, I met a lot of different types of doctors. I met a lot of different types of people. And I was out on the West Coast, which is, I think, naturally a bit more of a progressive thought process than a lot of other places in the world. And with that comes creativity and, and innovation and you hear from a lot of people, and I believe this, that, that necessity is the only real mother of creation or innovation. 
And man, I was in need. I was getting worse and worse all the time. I was, you know, in my third and fourth year of chiropractic school now, just fits of back pain that were debilitating now. What used to be painful became debilitating around 24 or 25 when I started sitting much more often in chiropractic school, many, many, many hours a day. That debilitation was initially met with adjustments, soft tissue work, stretching, yoga, um, a lot of Vladimir Yanda's work, a lot of uh, what I learned in, in an excellent book. I can't remember, remember the name of it, but it was written by a very, very active rehab, rehab guy named Craig Liebenson. He's a top doctor of chiropractic and has, has really had a hand in educating most of the young doctors coming up through his books. And a lot of his stuff got me like, it got me better. Um, no question. It got me to think of my body a lot better. It got me to think of, of the center of my body, the core structure of my body as a long, broad, big cylinder. And the more I did that, the, the better I got. But what was lacking for my own body still at that point was extension. I needed extension. So I started looking into Robin McKenzie's work, which is a, a reasonable, very reasonable, very strong, very thoughtful approach to extending the body's spine getting the spine and the neck into a more extensive ready position. So Mackenzie's work coupled with Liebenson's work, coupled with Yonda's work, coupled with what I was learning in chiropractic school, coupled with yoga classes and, and what I understood about weightlifting and just being in a strong body started to get my body a little stronger. It was really nice, but nothing was stopping the every three week or so. Uh Oh, there it goes again. I can't move up. It's this shockwave of nerve pain down my spine. I got to go get surgery. So I went and I looked into surgery and I looked at a DO and an MD and I got recommended a fusion surgery at my lower spine because the degeneration of my L5 into my S1 and my L4 above my L5 was remarkable. It was not that of a 30-year-old spiner at that time 27 year old spine it was it was a much older looking spine and it was angry and it made me angry and it made me feel bad and i was really at that stage ready to do whatever it took but when i looked at what the surgery was i'm a, i want to know things i want to know what i'm about to do when i looked at what was involved in a fusion surgery when i thought about my age when i put my my health practitioner cap on I said, you have got to be out of your mind if you think you're getting this surgery or any surgery like this at 27 years old. You're going to put yourself, say goodbye to physical development for the next 10 years. I just, I got really introspective into, into who I wanted to be and how I wanted to live my 30s and 40s and 50s and decided that I was not done looking. And, and even though a lot of people like to say that they have tried everything, as I liked to say at that moment, I had tried everything. I was so wrong. And starting at 27 is when everything changed in my life. It's when I decided not to get surgery. It's when I graduated from chiropractic school. And it's when I investigated why, when everything else in my back is strong, everything else in my body is strong, why is this two-inch long segment from L4 to S1 not strong? And it changed everything because that investigation changed my understanding of biomechanics forever. And I'm still nine years later investigating it every single day. And, and it's called foundation training.
that's, you know, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. And, and I'm just going to keep trying to understand why in so many people, there's these itty bitty segments of insubordination. They're not listening to the rest of the body. They're not listening to the brain. They've adapted out of orderly action, you know, and contraction. They're doing, on, they're doing it on their own. They've gone rogue against the rest of the system. And I want to understand more than just sitting too much, more than, more than anything else, why does the fascial wrapper, why does the nervous system, why do the muscles respond in such a fashion that they make the body weaken itself at a, at, in an attempt to get better? I don't understand that. I still don't. So two questions. Number one is, in layman's terms, what did you discover in terms of what, what were your aha moments? What, were, what was the content of your major aha moments okay. that were correlated with you starting to do different things and see things differently? And Number two is a question that I've been pondering for a few months, and that is, um, if what you're tapping into is so uh, simple and foundational, what is the structure of our current listening, of our paradigm, that makes, has made us so blind uh-huh. to what you have discovered? That's an easy one. That's actually a really easy one. I'm going to answer that one first, and I'm going to segue. You might have to ask me the first one again. I get lost. Well, the, um, first, one was, the first one was, what did you discover? What were, the key, what were the key distinctions or revelations that as you committedly kept looking into this that you, that you discovered? And then we can get later into how that translated into a practice. Okay. I'll try, I'll try to, I'll try to hit those. So what I discovered, I, God, I, that word is so, that's a tough word for me, doc. It really is because I don't think I discovered anything. I think I found within my own body, it's capacity towards uh, integrated muscle contractions of, of first the posterior chain and then the rest of the body. And in layman's terms, what that means is for years and years and years and years and years, both as an athlete and then as a pre-med and then as a chiropractic student. I was taught that the biceps contract one way, the hamstrings contract one way, the quadriceps contract one way, the abdomen is the core of the body. The neck needs to be supported by the trapezius muscles. The, the calves need to be strong. Nobody ever told me about my posterior chain of muscles and their connections from the deep arches of my foot up the back of my leg into my spine, up the back of my neck, into my front neck muscles, this, this web of tissue that has incredible support capacity, more than any individual muscles in the body. They work as a team. That's what we should be learning in anatomy. You know, that's what we should be learning in our physiology classes, is that our body is a unit, not a series of units, but a unit. And that unit is designed to kind of compress and decompress and compress and decompress. And it has numerous smaller systems built within it. First with the motion of the rib cage, pumping cerebrospinal fluid up and down the spine, lifting the muscles that surround our torso to give them length before we ask them to contract. 
same with the hips. The hips are designed to hinge. We're not supposed to just bend our spine down to pick something up. We're supposed to pull our hips way back behind us, creating a moment of asymmetry that has to be met with muscular balance and counterbalance. But that moment of asymmetry is the most important thing. It's what connects the integrated chains. That leaning back first creates this wave of muscular contractions along that posterior chain. And that was probably, if I had to pick a discovery, that's the discovery, is that by shifting the weight to our heels, keeping our chin back and our chest lifted, we can create enough length in our hip flexors with support at the vertebral level of every vertebra in the spine and the support of the transverse abdominis and the support of the top big stabilizing neck muscles. We can create this very long, almost pulled to its absolute longest point, spine. And we can couple it with a hinging motion, making our hips into our driving force of life. The, the primary range of motion that gets us through life is this very important hip hinge. And if we don't actively strengthen our posterior chain, practicing movements and isometrics that allow these muscles to integrate, to work together. We cannot expect our body to move well, to support itself well. We cannot expect our spine to stay aligned, which is very important as it turns out. If you listen to any type of osteopathic or chiropractic or, or, or Eastern philosophy of health, it's very important to have a lined up spine and a, and a well-supported nervous system. That starts at the posterior chain. That's the discovery, if there is one. If nothing else, it's at least a, a different way of looking at what this chain of muscles is designed for. And it's really designed to keep our spine as long as possible and to keep our hips as the primary fulcrum of movement in the body. And that, that's, that's what we do. So let's get to the, I have a comment, and then let's get to the second part of the second question, which was your take on what it is about what we're being as a people that um, that we didn't that that this isn't common knowledge that we didn't discover this a while ago or if we did discover it it it, it, it the collective wasn't in a space where it got easily shared that's something I would like you to go into but one comment that I have is as you were talking I was getting an image of a professional golfer. And it seems like the best golfers in the world have, without having this cognitive distinction, have discovered exactly what you're saying. That the best golfers in the world, at the address position, have their chest up, their shoulders kind of back, but not forced back. It's just their back. They're resting back and the chest is up and the head is back and their weight is more toward the heel than it is toward the balls of their feet and it seems like to be an excellent golfer and to be able to use your body efficiently so that you can play four days in a row it seems like they naturally discovered a lot of what you're describing I think one of, the, one of the biggest keys to athleticism is, is literally getting out of your own way. For some athletes, it's mental. For some athletes, it's physical. 
And what, what you're talking about is an athlete that has figured out that efficiency is more important. You know, it's more valuable than strength or, or anything else. And technique is one way to get to efficiency, but technique doesn't always take you to efficiency. What you got to learn to do is become very sensitive to your own body. And I love that you said that those golfers have discovered, because you're right, they discovered in, in much the same capacity that I did, that there's certain things we just aren't taught about our body. And their discovery is, is absolutely as valuable as mine. And it's very similar to mine. My only contribution to the health cause is my explanation of things. It's not the discovery. It's just, it's just how, I, how, I'm, how I really enjoy trying. You know, I'll, I'll go as deep as somebody wants or as deep as I possibly can to get them to understand this. Because when that light bulb goes off in their head, it's so good to see that and to be around that. It's so inspiring. And you watch a person really get excited about their capacity to improve upon themselves and, and probably some others too. Um, now, why, why do I think uh, that collectively this wasn't seen sooner or yeah. more regularly? I think we're really good at, at, at compartmentalizing the body into various systems and structures. And I think that's as simple as it gets. Um, it's very hard to understand biomechanics very hard to understand biomechanics if you're looking at individual pieces you don't see the whole puzzle um if you are going based on what you see instead of what you feel you are at a tremendous disadvantage in understanding biomechanics um, and that goes for every type of doctor every type of practitioner every type of athlete i need you to get more sensitive at what your body's doing and then the more you understand that the better you're going to be at helping other people become more sensitive to what their body is doing, whether it's positive or negative. So that's first. We have thought ourselves, we have intellectualized ourselves out of sensitivity. And sensitivity is so important at being a good practitioner. You gotta feel. The next thing is that in anatomy, we, we break apart every piece. We wanna understand every origin and insertion and action of every single muscle. You know what I mean? And I think that can create a real, I don't know if didactic is the right, I don't think that's the right term, but a real, a real piecemeal understanding of the human body. And you can understand the pieces. Oh, man, do some anatomists understand the pieces extraordinarily well. But the pieces don't matter. It's how the pieces interact with each other. It's how the systems interact to create a whole that is the human frame and human body. And, and symptoms are so different from body to body for the same thing, for the same problem. So if you're always looking at this, well, this is what this muscle does. And if this muscle is not working well, then this is the expected outcome. You're probably going to be wrong on that outcome very, very often. So what I'm hearing you say is this tendency to be reductionistic in our approach. Perfect. Right. Okay. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about my 29 years in private practice as a holistic chiropractor. And, you know, before I came across your work, I saw a pattern. I, my practice is mostly white collar type people. So they're doing a lot of sitting. I, I saw in probably 80% of my patients, I saw the typical pattern that we see where the feet are slightly turned out and 
somewhat overpronated. The um, the knees might be locked. Uh, the hips might be in front of the ankles. The person compensates by leaning back from their low back so they don't fall down. But then, but then the upper back starts rounding up and the shoulders start rounding out and the head comes forward. And I saw when people would try to self-correct that they would only make it worse. And I, I, I came to the discovery that um, you couldn't really do anything about the, the back or the, or the neck or the head on a permanent basis until you altered how the pelvis rested and how the pelvis worked. And then that led me into a, a lot of exploration with the psoas muscles and uh, and 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 uh, and helping people to isolate their awareness of the hip joint so that they could start to extend the hip instead of arching their low back. And I discovered that that gave me some room to move. People got felt better, and then I could start to do some things with the upper body that actually started working. But I, until I came across your work, I never put it all together in the bigger picture that you did about the, uh, and we can, we can define this for the listener, but the, the whole discovery that of the posterior chain and how it all works together. So I've thought a lot about the fact that most Americans are dead in their hips and, you know, you can't move something as you say, you're not sensitive to and you're not aware of. And I think there are um, ergonomic reasons for that, lifestyle reasons for that, psychological, philosophical reasons for that. But I did come to the discovery before I came across your work of the importance of the hip joint. But um, when I came across your work, it put it into a much, much bigger picture. Um, was your journey kind of similar to that in your discovery or, or, or did you take a very different route to get to your big ahas? I took a very different route. I really did. Um, not, and I like that. I, if I had had the time to go into practice and to do all of that, I would have. But I just became a licensed chiropractor a few years ago. I, I failed my board. Uh, the part four boards were a real nemesis of mine for several years. I couldn't get past them. I'm not a standardized test taker very well. Um, so I failed them a couple of times. And then I took a little break and developed this work very, very steadily instead of going into any form of private practice. And one of the first jobs that I had, uh, the most important job I've ever had actually, was in 2007 and 2008. I was the trainer and overall physical assistant, you could say. I trained the guys. I worked on the guys. I treated the guys. Uh, the head coach was also a chiropractor and licensed. So I was able to work under his license, a guy named Dr. Terry Schroeder. We had the U.S. Olympic men's water polo team, and I was training them for one year leading up to Beijing uh, in 2008. And they were beat up, really beat up. They were big and they were strong. And I was very lucky because I had played water polo in college, nowhere near the level that these Olympians played. I know that. But I played, and I understood water polo, and I understood the mechanics of it. And these guys had extremely similar injuries to me. And these were not 
white collar men. These were athletes of the truest form anybody will ever meet. They don't get paid a lot. They work their asses off. They work their butts off. They, they, they train six days a week, 12 to 14 hours a day. And I got pulled into their world for one year hard. <laughs> I, I've never been so impressed upon as I was with this group of men and their coach, Terry. These guys showed me so much about discipline and dedication. And what I saw over and over and over and over and over is how hard they pushed themselves. And again, they all had lower back injuries and they all had shoulder injuries. And I've had surgery on my shoulder and I've had a low back injury for 20 years, 15 years now. So I understood those things. I understood the pain. And I had this group of guys that for some crazy reason, let me explore what we could do for injuries. They didn't make me stick to their old training program that their old trainer gave them. They let me advise them in their entire physical preparedness for the Olympics. And over about a 10 or 11 month period, we experimented with all of the body weight exercises that I was doing for my own back at that time. I started doing my own exercises around 27. I started going to yoga classes and completely altering the exercises to make my back feel better. That was my goal. And every single exercise was find the place with no pain. It exists. You have found it before, find it again. So I got better and better and better and better at finding these isometric postures that challenged me and offered me no pain. And I started presenting those postures to all of these men. I had 25, 26 Olympians. Over that 10-month period, we refined it to five or six that really worked quickly, thoroughly. The guys felt powerful. They felt the back of their bodies engaged in a way they had never felt before. And I was at this time feeling the same. We took them off of most avenues that would be considered for conventional training of, a, of an Olympic team. We put them on isometric and high-intensity sprinting. Isometric positions that, cha that challenge the body very heavily, foundation training, and a few others. And then high-intensity, high short-interval sprinting, uphills, downhills, across things, on, you know, lots of different ways of doing it. And what we had was a team that went from number nine in the world to getting a silver medal, the first medal in 20 years in Beijing. And I, I have one of those silver medals hanging on my wall. And that moment when that medal came in is when foundation training was, was created, as far as I'm concerned. It gave me a confidence in seeing what even the best athletes could do in a short amount of time to completely alter their pain levels and their physical ability. And I think of the 24 or 25 athletes we had, you know, 20, 21, 22 of them were able to basically compete that whole time pain-free. Uh, two or three of them had small injuries, but no major injuries. And it was a, a very unique experience. They got better, they got lighter, and they got stronger at the same time. And from that came the confidence to say, okay, I'm going forward with this. I don't care about practicing. I care about teaching, and I'm going to become a good teacher. Beautiful. So uh, once you had reached that level of certainty and commitment, and it was time to, I mean, you're, I know you, and I know you're always going to keep refining your knowledge, but when it got to that point and you realized that you wanted to disseminate this innovation, um, tell me your story. How did you begin to get this work out into the world? I know that there are some videos out there with Mercola 
that mm -hmm. obviously gave you a large audience. I don't know how you and Dr. Mercola crossed paths, but I'm very interested in this. I consider it, I don't know if it's a science, but it certainly is a whole area of study, which I call the dissemination of innovation. And, you know, if you study history, you know, there have been innovators uh, for as long as time, but unfortunately, a lot of the innovations haven't gotten out there to benefit and bless a lot of people. But now that we have the internet and other things, it's getting a little bit easier, but it still requires a tremendous amount of courage and persistence and perseverance and faith and consciousness and commitment and some serendipity. Could you talk a little bit about your journey of once you reach this level of certainty that this was worth doing and worth sharing and committing to about a little bit about your process of, and it's still going obviously about disseminating this innovation. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you as, as accurate a story of that as I can. And it starts right. It starts at that same time when I got that silver medal, um, which is still, it's, it's I reflect on that and it hasn't been long. It's been, it's been about eight years since then, actually it's been exactly eight years since then, roughly. So this, I told you about Terry Schroeder, Dr. Terry Schroeder, uh, a man who is among the largest family of chiropractors in the world. I think 66 or 67 of his immediate relatives are also chiropractors. His uh, grandfather or great grandfather, I can't recall which one, was you know friends with BJ Palmer or something like that. Just crazy, crazy stuff. Terry exemplifies everything you just said about an innovator. Um, he exemplifies this confidence and this courage and this faith, especially faith. Um, I'm not a religious person, but I've never had such a faithful person uh, um, get me to help, help me to understand the value of faith. So I, I saw some qualities in this Olympic team, but especially in their coach. I mean, Terry was ultimately, without knowing it, coaching me at that time also. I got to sit alongside with probably one of the best coaches in, in history and just sit there and listen to him and watch him and be a part of that process every day. And I've always had extremely good men in my life. My father is an amazing man. My uncles, my, my uh, brother-in-law, like a lot of really, really wonderful men in my life. But I'd never had somebody that was so willing to go out on a limb for other people. I've never had that in my life. I've never seen somebody like Terry who just believes in others and is so confident in who he is as a man that he will put all of his energy into helping others and not really worry about what happens to him. It's very cool. It's very um, admirable. So that was this, this like immediate shift in my psyche having spent so much time with them was I was like, Oh man, anything's possible. These guys just won a silver medal. Nobody like they went, they were an underdog story and they did great. And that happened. And I was involved in that. Wow. I have to start really changing the way that I limit myself. This thing, it wasn't called foundation training yet. This idea might have some room. I have to make a decision. Am I going to follow that merit and, and chase it and, and maybe risk not being a successful man? <clears throat> or am I going to go into practice? And, and Terry had offered me a, a, a spot in his practice and I would, have, I would have done very well. And one of the harder things I've ever done in my life was saying, I, I can't do that. I want to do something else. I, I have something in me that I believe needs to be nurtured and I need to understand it. And until I understand that better, I can't commit to any job. 
Um, he always called me a free spirit. I'm still not sure if that was a good or bad statement, but I am a free spirit. So I started trying to get athletes to try my work. The Olympic team helped. They gave me some amazing testimonials that I was able to present to other people. And I started getting some triathletes and some different people. I moved to Boulder, Colorado for six months in August of 2008. Um, I had graduated. I didn't really have much else to do. So I went to Boulder where my family lives. And I, and I got some athletes out there to try this work, this idea. And it helped me refine it a lot. And I had a few very challenging patients that became healthier and stronger and had been worked on by a number of different types of therapists and doctors and then did this movement pattern and it helped in a way that nothing else had or could and each of these little things started giving me more and more and more confidence but it still it had no name it had no rhythm it just was a couple isometric postures maybe five six seven postures that started making the cut and they started making me think a very certain way of, of what worked when it came to spinal injuries and you say being at the center of serendipity, and I think this is around the time that serendipity happened like it, and, and kept happening because all of a sudden, for no reason at all, incredibly influential people came into my life, incredibly influential. People that were able to bring my work to their communities with a level of respect that I would have had to work a lifetime within that community to earn. And they did it happily. I would teach them and they would deliver. The biggest one of those people was a man named Peter Park, who I wrote my first book with. And Peter is a very dear friend, um, still is. And he's writing a book right now on some pretty cool stuff. He's one of the best triathletes in history. And he's probably the best qualified conditioning coach for any high-level athlete that I could imagine uh, of anybody I've ever met. He's incredible. He's, he's creative and he just is a wealth of knowledge with no ego about how he goes about things. And Peter has this clientele of extremely influential people that he started bringing this work to. And we decided to partner up and we decided to come up with a name for it. And we called it foundation training. And it just made sense because it really does establish a, a strength that can be built upon in so many directions in so many styles of training, but without it, it's, it's very difficult to succeed in a lot of those other styles of training. So we called it foundation training and we just kept showing it to everybody we could. There's one player involved who has a pretty crummy reputation these days, but I will say he still helped me tremendously and selflessly. Uh, Peter trained Lance Armstrong for many, 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 many years. And, and simply by my training Peter, training with Peter, Knowing Peter, I was able to get in there and show Lance foundation training. And Peter started implementing foundation training into Lance's. Uh, he, was, he was coming back to the Tour de France. It was now 2008, 2009, 2010 time. And Lance was making a comeback for the Tour de France. And we got to be very actively involved in that. And as a favor, Lance wrote the forward to our first book. And this is before his, his reputation was pretty heavily tarnished. But he helped me and he helped us without asking anything back. And he did it in a really nice way. So I, I'm actually very grateful to him for that. You can't lie to people, certainly not the public, certainly not reporters. So I, you know, hey, shouldn't have done that, Lance. But I don't need to tell him that. He knows that. Everybody knows that. He was instrumental in helping us spread our work. And you asked how 
innovation gets out there. And innovation has gotten out there by me taking every ounce of my energy and just giving it to those that I think this work can help. Usually they can't pay for it. I've taught a ton of free classes. I've given so many hours of my time for free to people just to get better at this work. But I've also had a number of people, a number of professional athletes and, and movie people and, and music people that are able to afford a higher rate, pay me a higher rate for my time so that I could have the time to continue investigating and continue sharing this work with people that can't afford it. And that's how innovation happens is it's now been, it's, two, you know, it's almost 2017. It's, it, I've, been in, I've been doing foundation training now for almost nine years. Um, every day, every single day. And I've been showing it to people for nine years now, every single day. And what you see is the slow and steady evolution of, of a very simple idea that the human body is designed to have an expansive, powerful torso and a very well-articulating hip joint. And that articulation requires a little bit of circumduction internally and a little bit of expansion at the lower back and mid back and a little bit of retraction at the chin. And those little subtleties showed themselves time and time and time and time and time again for many years with many different types of patients. And uh, I can't believe it. <laughs> I can't believe it, man. <laughs> when did you start to expand who you were sharing this with to include uh, people that were not elite athletes? Immediately. Before the Olympic team, I, was, I would show this to people in my student clinic. I would be doing little exercises for myself, that, and I would just say, here, try this. Turn your feet this way. Stand up this way. Feel that, feel that tension in your back? It doesn't feel like the back pain you had, does it? It feels like muscles getting tired, right? Okay, keep doing that. You know, I, 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 showed, this to, I showed this to common folk long before I showed this to anybody else. <laughs> but the common folk were a lot of my intern patients and things like that. Now, were you, uh, through all of this period, were you financially responsible for anybody but yourself? I was very fortunate to be broke and alone. <laughs> and I had a dog. Okay. You know, I, I, uh, I was paid $1,000 a month by the U.S. water polo team. And this is how good of a human being Terry Schroeder is. He subsidized. He didn't ask for anything back. He gave me an additional 1500 a month out of his own money, out of his salary, because he knew the team wasn't paying me enough to live. This wow. is like, is that right? The people that have come into my life have shown me what it can be to be a man in this world. And that changes the way you operate for the rest of your life when you come across the right ones. And I, I came across a lot of the right ones. Uh, but I can't. And a lot of these people I've met come through an initial friendship and, and really good relationship with a doctor named Tom Hyde, who I need to mention in this also. Because Tom is ultimately the guy that I, I met all of these people because of. Now... Um, do you have a home base right now or are you kind of in just a nomadic type of existence? How are you organizing your, your, your personal life right now? Sure. So I am no longer broken alone. I am not rich, but I am not alone. I have a wonderful partner in life named Jen and Jen is a pediatric physical therapist that is just so smart in her knowledge of, of developmental stages for children for kids. So Jen and I travel constantly. So we are living that nomadic lifestyle. We are on the road most days. 
going to different locations. Every three to four weeks, I have a certification course that I teach for four days in different locations. So that sort of sets the outline schedule for us. And then we'll teach classes. We'll see patients. Uh, she's writing a book right now. So she's working pretty heavily on that. I just finished mine and uh, put my newer book, True to Form, out there. And that, that was a long, you know, that was a journey that we were on the road writing every day, researching, working, uh, teaching classes. It was, it's been a really amazing but, but intense couple of years of life on the road. But at the same time, we love it. And it lets us meet a lot of people. And we have established a sort of um, a grassroots style movement for foundation training where we don't advertise. We literally just show up sometimes and teach a free class here and there. And we've got, you know, about 600 something instructors now around the world that are doing similar stuff. And there's just this slow and steady spread of posterior chain integration and foundation training, but also a spirit of um, we can do better for each other and for ourselves. That, that is sort of alive and well within this work also. That's beautiful. Um, what's your experience of the process that, well, actually it's a two-part question. What's your experience of the process that clients tend to go through over the first few months of integrating these movements into their life? And a second question is, what is your experience of the process that people go through who commit to becoming certified in this work? Because it must be catalytic for people on multidimensional levels. I think... Um if I could give a, a, a typical patient response or client response, it would be, I've been doing this, you told me to do this 10, 15 minutes a day, and I've been doing that. And here's what I'm noticing. I'm standing taller. I'm breathing deeper immediately, like right away. Every morning is started now, standing taller and breathing deeper. When I, when I stand up, when I brush my teeth, I find myself starting to incorporate that founder pose, that posterior chain integration or the woodpecker pose or a standing decompression pose. I find myself looking for muscles to activate instead of just resting into myself. For most people within the first week, the back pain or, or hip pain or knee pain or shin pain or shoulder pain or whatever it is, has at least subsided significantly, if not gone away. Not everybody. Some people, it takes a few weeks and some people look, this ain't the right thing for them. That, that happens too. But for most people within that first week, they've noticed a pretty tremendous shift. Now, that's sort of when the fun begins because the idea with this work is to build upon it and build upon it and build upon it and use it as an accessory to your daily life for the rest of your life. And like any skill, the more you do it, the better you get at it, the more natural it becomes. People that have been doing this work for months get a lot better at it and really begin incorporating it into their lives. The people that have been doing this work for years begin investigating their own body, understanding their own body, getting a, a, a sort of a constant feedback about the physical state of their body from their body, from their muscles, from their posture, from their breathing. It's really cool. It gives you the opportunity to become sensitive again. We're born sensitive. Sensitivity is a very good thing. It's a sign of intelligence, I believe. It's, it's electrical systems working well, working acutely. 
I think we need to strive to develop the skill of physical sensitivity. And that's, if I had to give one typical experience for patients, it's that they finally become more physically sensitive to the things that are good for them. And they finally become more physically sensitive to the things that are bad for them too. It's a big shift for a lot of people. What about the uh, metaphysical correlations that you've noticed? I don't know. <laughs> okay. I, I really don't. I mean, people, people report this and that, but I think, I think it's really good for the human body. And, and some people are so in touch with their body that it will give them a, a better psyche as a result. And at the same time, some people are so out of touch with their own body that will also give them a better psyche as a result, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, that's how I feel. That's, the, that's my metaphysical uh, disclosure on this. Okay. So then how about the second question? <laughs> Can you repeat the second question? Sorry. Yes. What, what do you notice comes up for people? What's the journey like that you've observed in the people that you've trained to be certified? Oh, yeah. That's a good group. It really is. I can't believe that we have, I can't believe I, that somehow this community has formed. It blows, it, it's, I, I hope everybody gets the chance to see something they love come to fruition uh, to any scale of any kind, because you start to have a, a, a familiarity with the people that love your work and share your work. And then at the heart of that group of people is the people that are, that are really, um, they're invested in it. My certified instructors to varying degrees are very invested in foundation training. A lot of them have developed wonderful careers or improved upon their careers with this work. Most of them have improved upon their life in, in some way, some large, some small, but a lot of them have really improved upon their lives for the long term and the lives of several of their family members and friends by coming through our certification and recognizing, again, uh, just, just recognizing their, becoming aware to their physical capacity to the limitations that they've put on themselves, to the cognitive dissonance they've been walking through life with about what they can be and what they can do. It's powerful. We do a lot of instructor support. We have a, uh, a private forum just on Facebook, but there's like 500 members in there now. You have, to be, you have to have gone through and completed a certification to be in there. And it is this nonstop thread of questions and answers and experiences with patients. And not everybody's a doctor. In fact, over half the people are not doctors. We have, we have every walk of life has the ability to come through a foundation program. I want our room to be different. I want our room to be accepting and to be, uh, to, it's my job to break down the information so that you understand it. It's not your job to come there with enough information to understand it, if that makes sense. And we have a really wonderful teaching team. Um, that's the best I can get. The, the experience is very cool. It's, it, it makes you feel part of a community and it also makes us feel like we're starting something of a very legitimate value in the world. Very, very, very legitimate value. How large is your teaching team now? Let's see. It is myself, Chad, Gail, Brian, Dustin, Aaron, Mia, Shane, Sean, Kaylee, Tisha. Um, I don't think I forgot anybody. Those are my master instructors. Uh, we, were, we just brought another guy in uh, who's been in the fold for a long time, a guy named Dr. Mike Lane, uh, who's taught a few courses with me and who's now becoming a, one, of the, one of the larger um, master instructors within the program as well. Uh, I forgot somebody. Sorry if you're listening. But. 
I don't think I did. <laughs> it sounds exciting. It sounds like you've hit like some critical mass where it, it like, like if you died tomorrow, it sounds like this movement has a life of its own. They don't need me at all. I, just, I make it worse now. I go in there and they have this really good teaching protocol and I just go and screw it all up. Right. <laughs> I try to get all sciencey and all nerdy with it. And they're like, no, no, Eric, we teach it this way now. Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> so one of the things I want to make sure you have a chance to share with our listeners is the different ways that they can get a taste of the work. And also, could you talk about the the new cloud-based platform that, yes. you've, that you've established as well, because that's, uh, that's, really, that's really exciting because it, uh, it's affordable and it can be so dynamic and grow with the work. Wait till you see what that is becoming. We're, we're beta testing. It's called FT Connect, Foundation Training Connect. And the goal of it is to use technology, counter technology. Technology breaks us down, beats us up, makes our lives convergent, makes us smaller, makes us weaker, makes us subordinate. The idea with FT Connect is that it's very simple. You practice these, what we call modern isometric postures. You practice the decompression program that will be on there very, very soon. And we all of a sudden have a platform that we can constantly upgrade and update. So once you join in, once you sign up for FT Connect, you can use it on your computer, your phone, whatever, wherever you got internet. And every time we make new videos, uh, including the over 50 workouts that are already prepped and ready and edited to go on there. Every time we have that available, it will just go on there and it becomes yours. You have it. It's available to you. You get to see our innovation as we come up with it. And that's something that we've been wanting to do for a very long time. And we finally have not only the support within the team, but also what I would consider almost like the intellectual um, confidence to say, all right, we can do this right. We have a business behind us. We have a lot of conspiring minds now looking at this system. And it's not just me anymore. It's a team and it's a powerful team. It's some very intelligent people who have devoted their lives to helping other people really understand their life, understand their physical abilities and physical capacities and injuries and chronic ailments and that FT Connect program, I can't wait to see what it becomes, but we're beta testing it right now. You can sign up right now and any new stuff that comes on in the next few months, you'll just, you'll get automatically. Um, just it's, our website is so easy. It's foundationtraining.com. If you never want to pay me a dollar, you don't have to, you can go learn a ton of free information and get my books out of the libraries. You know, I don't, I don't care how you learn it. I just want you to learn it. What pricing model have you set up for FT Connect? I have no idea. <laughs> I have a CEO that does all that. Uh, I think it's like a hundred bucks for, you know, one time fee of like a hundred bucks to get full description, okay. uh, but I don't know they're beta. Again, they're beta testing it. Like they're looking at what works. They're looking at what people respond to. Um, they are taking surveys of our instructors and things like that. And our, our we have a pretty, our, our community is growing. It's getting bigger. We've got a, a decent sized, network that we can kind of reach out to and say, Hey, do you guys like this? Or is this terrible? Did we mess up? So we're in that process right now. Um, so the pricing might change, but okay. the price of a visitor to, to a doctor, that's what we look at. Well, it sounds like you're in a really happy place with yourself right now. And it sounds like the work is really flowing well for you. Do you have uh, I mean, I know you're a pretty in the now kind of guy, but, you're also a visionary to some extent. Do you have a do you have a strong 
um, sense that has any uh, definition to it yet that you can put into language about where you see your life going over the next few years? Well, I think the best way to make sure that nothing happens the way that you plan it is to plan it. Um, that being said, I have, I, I feel, I don't, I don't take serendipity lightly and I, and I look at who and what comes into the fold. And in the past couple of years, I've had some remarkable individuals and organizations come into the periphery of foundation training. Uh, a guy named Jared Lefevre, a guy named Barney Miller, a handful of others that are uh, quadriplegic and to varying degrees for, you know, over 15, 20 years duration. And are, and are still actively trying to improve. And we've started investigating with them uh, what decompression breathing can do for them, for their bodies, for their brains, for all kinds of stuff. Are you still there? I'm here. Okay. I just heard a really weird noise on this end. So we've been investigating with quadriplegics what, what the idea of stimulating the systems from the inside out instead of from the outside in. Like, you, all right, don't, don't try to lift weights. Let's see if we can create pressure around the torso with, with what I call decompression breathing. Let's see if we can create space at the spinal column. Let's see. All right. You, so you have use of your body from C5 up. Let's take full advantage of everything we can get from C5 up. And I have found that with decompression breathing, these guys and girls are really able to, um, they're able to break some pretty major barriers to paralysis. They're still paralyzed, but they're coordinated in what they have. And coordinated movement at every level is so valuable because it starts building upon coordinated movement and building upon coordinated movement. You start really seeing a person become more muscularly sound, more metabolically active, more mentally acute uh, as a result of better breathing bigger breathing, powerhouse breathing into the lungs, expanding the rib cage like they're doing the heaviest deadlift they've ever done, supporting the torso with every muscle fiber they can find from every active muscle they have in their body. And uh, this is only anecdotal and it's only theoretical, but we are seeing improvements, absolutely seeing improvements. And I want to devote a lot of time to those people and to, those, to that environment. I've never felt so good about the work we're doing as I do when I work with those people. Um, it's yeah. insane to me how, how much inspiration they hold within them in a variety of ways. Um, it's a really cool population. So I don't know what's going to happen with me, but I hope I'm spending a lot of time with, uh, with the, the paraplegic and quadriplegic communities and, and with veterans that are injured and not getting the proper care. We we're, have made major uh, inroad into the veteran affairs clinics. And I believe that foundation training will be present at most, if not all of those in the next half a decade or so. Beautiful. Now, one thought I was having as we were talking today is, have you thought about the implications of your work for uh, ergonomic and furniture design? To a degree, but I think um, there's a guy named Martin Keene with Keene Furniture. He used to do Keene Footwear. And he and I have been in touch a bunch of times. He has this really cool standing desk out, uh, focal standing desk, I believe it's called. And he's great. And it's, it, the biomechanics that he put into that desk is, is phenomenal. They're really, really, really thoughtful ergonomics. It really took a lot of biomechanics into play to, to make that desk. And I think if we start seeing trends going in that direction, um, maybe I could 
maybe I could get on some advising boards or something like that, but I'm not a businessman. I don't want to get into that stuff. I, I, I brought in a wonderful business team for foundation training and I, I, my hope is with anything like that, that if I can be of any value in any way, shape or form, I'll get the opportunity to. And if not, then somebody else will, you know, I don't know if, I, I don't know what I could add to that community, if anything. Okay. I was thinking more on the idea level, not so much you starting a business in that area, but uh, if, if, uh, if one of those companies consulted with you and say, Hey, we want to design an ergonomic environment for our company. We've got money to burn. It's not an issue. We're Google, whatever. We just want to have our workers as healthy as possible. And as part of that, we want to have optimal workstation and, and chair design. Would you have some thoughts on that that aren't floating around yet? Yes, with full confidence to change their lives forever. Beautiful. We've been talking about that internally for a long time. Uh, my best friend in the world of 20 years is one of my business partners. He's also a chiropractor, Dustin Duricki. And Dustin's the most creative dude I know. And he talks about stuff with furniture. I think he's just going to go off and go rogue and start his own furniture company or something like that soon. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. Well, we've got about 10 minutes left. Uh, and I want to make sure that, you know, one of the reasons I do this is just because it's fun for me. Another reason I do this is because. I want to serve my tribe and, and get great stuff out there. But another reason I do these in-depth interviews is so that my guests can use the interview over the coming months and years as a resource to help share about and empower themselves and the work that they're doing. And so in the last 10 minutes we have left, I wanted to turn it back over to you to see if there was anything else that you wanted to talk about or share today and then also make sure before we go that you give out whatever contact information you would like as access points that you would like my listeners to have sure all right well i'll hit the contact points first that's easy foundationtraining.com uh i don't even have business cards we hand out cards that say foundationtraining.com and on the back side it just says i don't care what it looks like it just feels good that's our slogan uh Go there. Check it out. If you have questions, if you want to try to contact me or any of my crew, it's just info at foundationtraining.com. That's, our, that's the, the standard email, and we have a wonderful staff that, that really makes you feel like we're paying attention, at least most of the time. Um, if I can leave any, any thought with, with you or your audience, it's no matter how long you do this stuff, and I, I think this is probably true for any sport or any activity or any exercise or any martial art or any yoga practice or any breath practice or any spiritual practice of any kind. The longer you do it, the better you get if you're paying attention. But you can also really easily get stuck in old patterns and repeat those old patterns over and over and over. And you get really good at those patterns too. Your body and your brain are going to adapt to anything you ask them to, whether consciously or subconsciously or unconsciously, over and over again. They're going to adapt and they're going to get better at it. Foundation training is nothing more, literally, it's nothing more than a simple adaptive process in which you're actively adapting. You're paying attention to how your body is getting stronger, to what it's getting better at doing. I just hope you do that. I hope you take the time to do a little bit every day. This is not a standalone program. This is to be used as a small but important accessory to everything else you do in life. You can use these postures 
as a workout or you can use them as a pose while you're brushing your teeth or washing your face or looking in the refrigerator or cooking your food or whatever you're doing, sitting at your office desk. Adding decompression, breathing to any posture is not a hard thing to do. You just have to learn the skill of decompression breathing. Adding posterior chain integration to any posture is not a hard thing to do, but you have to practice the skill of posterior chain integration. And that's all this is. That's all life is, is a, is a series of skill development. You got to stay curious. You got to stay excited. If you're not excited, you got to work on the skill of staying excited. Find things that make you feel good and practice those things as often as you can. And you're not going to need as much advice. You're not going to spend as much time wondering what you should be doing because life's going to be feeling a little bit better. That's, that's pretty much the advice I have. And the, that's, that's the, the, the real, I think, heart of my work is I just want people to feel better. The world runs a lot more smoothly when people are in a good mood and feeling well. And this is the only way that I feel I can contribute to that. Thank you. Uh, in the last five minutes, could we talk a little bit about decompression breathing? Um, I wanted to make a comment and then I'll just turn it over to you to talk about it. So when I was first exposed to decompression breathing, it kind of played with my head because for most of my life, I've been kind of a traditional yogic type breather where uh, my abdomen would expand during my inhale. And the only time I would really get my chest involved would be if I was taking a super deep breath. And so it kind of played with that pattern a little bit. Um, so I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit and also just introduce to, to our listeners decompression breathing. Okay. Let me start with a disclaimer. I have nothing against traditional yoga or yogic breathing. I think it's wonderful. I think it's very good at stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system, calming us down. However, what goes down must come up. It's not just what goes up must come down. It's what goes down must also come up because otherwise it's not going to go down. If you're only breathing into your belly, you are limiting your body's capacity to lift and elevate and expand the rib cage. And the rib cage is what houses the lungs and stimulates diaphragmatic contraction. Without rib cage expansion, uniform rib cage expansion, the front, the sides, the back, the umbrella of the rib cage must open often in order for the diaphragm to stay strong for the intercostals to stay strong, for the serratus musculature to stay strong, for the neck musculature to stay strong. Every one of those muscles is stimulated by the expansion of the rib cage, the axial skeleton. Without the axial skeleton, which is the spine, the rib cage, and the skull, and that's it. Without the axial skeleton expanding and lengthening, every belly breath we take is an effort in compression, in collapsing, in shallow breathing. Our lungs are not in our belly, no matter what. The belly expanding does not assist the lungs expanding. In fact, it creates a counter pressure, pushing upward into the lungs, making it harder for them to expand, pushing upward into the diaphragm, making it harder for it to contract. In order for the diaphragm to contract, and this is the heart of decompression breathing, this is the most important piece of it right here. In order for the diaphragm to contract the right way, effectively, you must have uniform expansion from all sides. It must be pulled away from center in order for it to collapse downward, which is its contraction, pro its contraction process. It has these anchors, these little anchors called diaphragmatic crura, which 
insert way lower in the spinal area and they keep it anchored. When the rib cage expands and lifts upward and outward away from it, the sides are pulled outward against that crura and it creates diaphragmatic contraction. That contraction creates two separate cylinders, the heart and the lungs above the viscera. Belly breathing utilizes the viscera for respiration. That's not where respiration occurs. It does calm us down. It does feel nice. And it is not an inappropriate way to breathe unless our axial skeleton has forgotten how to expand well. And that's a big issue. Our, our axial skeleton must be re-educated towards expansion. It is that upward lift of the rib cage that gives the muscles the elastic potential to effectively and appropriately contract down and support a rigid, strong torso. If we're just going down, 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 it's going to be very hard to breathe well for the long term. So that's my, that's my philosophy of decompression breathing is that what goes down must first come up. So if someone was interested in incorporating both yogic breathing into their lives and in decompression breathing into their lives, would you recommend they just simply do those breaths at different times or is there some kind of real-time okay. integration that could happen? Nope, no blending. When you're doing foundation training, do foundation training. And when you're doing yoga, do yoga because they're both wonderful. Okay, and then um, did you want to say anything about that other uh, major innovation you've had in the last couple of years with the work that has to do with the, uh, with the grounding and the anchoring. the anchoring? I would love to, but it gets very confusing. So all I'm going to say to people is that the core of the body is mostly below the pelvis. Your abdomen is important. Your lower back is important. Your obliques are very important. But nothing when it comes to stability and structural integrity of the entire human frame is as important as the connections at the base of the pelvis, the hamstrings, the adductors, the glutes. Those are significantly more important to your overall structural integrity than anything else. They travel all the way down fascially. Uh, there's membranes that connect these muscles all the way down to the arches of the feet. And our process called anchor. Eric, you just is what establishes a very strong. Eric, can you hear me? Eric, I think you muted yourself out by mistake. Are you still, are you still there? I just yeah, lost. I, yeah, what, what happened was you muted yourself out by mistake. So for the last minute, we didn't hear what you had to say. The <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> the, the, the last thing we heard you say was talking about the, that the, uh, the fascia, it's integrated fascially all the way down to the arches of the feet. Yes, so there is, there's membranous connections all the way from the inside of the groin, uh, an area called the pubic symphysis, which is the center of the pelvis, all the way down to the bottom of the feet, to the feet, the toes, the, even the tibialis anterior muscle, uh, the front of the shin is very fascially connected to the muscles along the inner groin and along the outer hip as well. We can't forget about them. The basis of anchoring is basically as we pull up in decompression breathing, we must pull down 
in anchoring. We must create sort of a, uh, remember those finger traps where you could put your fingers in on both ends and then try to pull them apart and you couldn't? <laughs> the upward pull is decompression, the downward pull is anchoring. And what happens in the middle is, is proper pelvic positioning, proper abdominal strength and, and, and tension and tone, and uh, proper posterior chain integration. That it's sort of like you need both ingredients to, to cook the right thing for integration to occur. But both take a little while to learn. There's definitely a learning curve in this work. But everybody can do it, or at least the vast majority of people can do it. All right, Eric, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dr. David, the Cutting Edge Doc, and you've been listening to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. My guest today has been Dr. Eric Goodman, the founder of Foundation Training. And uh, I'm sure you enjoyed Eric and uh, this conversation as much as I did. So Eric, thank you again. And until next time, we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. Thanks, Doc. joining us for today's episode of freeing the body freeing the soul to access all episodes including show notes go to cuttingedgedoc.com that's cuttingedgedoc.com lastly if you love today's show you can support dr david his work and the show by going over to itunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.